Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Faith Kolocha, a musician, label co-founder, artist as well, who I came to know through her music as Mara, actually, a solo project of hers, which centers on the voice and piano. Absolutely beautiful stuff. But she also makes music as Mamifer, which also started out as a solo project and now features her husband, Aaron Turner, crucial listening alumni. You can check out his episode as well. But Faith's music is amazing. I always see it as being so entwined with this kind of earthly fundament. It sounds like that the music is diving in and out of the ground like tree roots. It's sort of embedded in nature somehow. There's that element to it. Particularly on that most recent Mammoth record, The World Unseen. It's such a stunning record. So Faith also co-founded Siege Records with Aaron Turner which is a consistently brilliant label as well. And she recently featured on a collaborative album with John Mueller and Aidan Baker called See Through, through which she provides this spillage of voices over the tracks. It's stunning. She brings this human warmth to these spindles of rhythm and harmony from Mueller and Baker. But her contribution just completely... It sounds like, I mean, she refers to herself, I think, as a blinding human sunshine element on this record, which we talk about during the conversation. But, I mean, when you hear this clip in a bit, you'll hear how evident it is that that's what she's bringing to the table. It's absolutely stunning. This conversation was a lot of fun. It took place quite late at night. My partner was asleep, hence the more hushed, kind of sedated tone of my voice. One thing I will note... I realised that on the last record that we talk about here, we ended up talking about a band that's quite close to me personally, and I dropped the ball as an interviewer and failed to really ask Faith that many questions. (laughs) Faith was kind enough to also record an additional bit about why that third record is important to her, just to add a bit of extra detail because of my shortcomings in terms of asking questions. So you'll hear that tacked on to the end of our discussion of that particular record. My apologies to Faith and to, to your listeners as well. It's um, yeah, it's poor showing on my part. But like I say, Faith is wonderful company. She's a huge inspiration. See Through is an incredible record. Faith did all the artwork as well. Some original paintings for it. And you can keep pace with what Faith is up to at fireinfog.blogspot.com. There's a few exciting things on the horizon, including a new Mara release called Here Behold Your Own, coming out on Siege. And obviously you can go to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening for more information on Faith's picks and links to Faith's work too. Okay, here we go. Faith Kalocha, 
on Crucial Listening. Faith, welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on the show and for uh, bringing three important albums with you. Before we get into the, those albums, uh, I wanted to ask you a few questions about recent goings-on with yourself, musically speaking. Um, one of the releases that's come out recently that has your name attached is See Through, which is a collaboration with John Mueller and Aidan Baker, which I've been thoroughly enjoying over the past few weeks. Um, mm-hmm. And you were kind enough as well to contribute a little piece to my radio show where you give me an insight into the process from your side of contributing to that record where I think you said something along the lines of that you wanted to bring a blinding human sunshine element to (laughs) the parts established by John and Aidan I mean that made sense to me as soon as I heard it but um, I'm intrigued (laughs) yeah um, it just felt very uh, it's like you're spilling over everything and it all feels very edgeless in a way which um, definitely aligned with the imagery for me but when you heard John and Aidan's contributions and, you know, from speaking to them. What was it that made it apparent to you that that blinding human sunshine element was what was what was needed uh, to, you know, why that energy? Why did you want to bring that energy to the record? When uh, they asked me, I assumed that that they wanted me uh, as myself and me at that moment, I felt very much like a blinding uh, human full of sunshine. <laughs> and so um, it was very hot in summertime and being a mother is amazingly inspirational to me. And I feel like a lot of the barriers I had uh, before giving birth are gone creatively. And I feel very free in how I'm working. And I saw it as a really good challenge to do something um, on my own and to let that kind of the feelings I was having of kind of like freedom of creative movement uh, shine through in like a new challenge. So I saw it as an opportunity to grow and to teach myself something and to kind of show that in the sound. And speaking of teaching yourself something, so I understand that this is, is it the first time you've basically recorded yourself or your contribution to, to a record? Is that right? Um, yeah, the first time I've used Pro Tools, um, I've I've recorded myself on four track and handheld cassette. Um, but whenever I record vocals or do like a mammoth record, that's not cassette based. Um, uh, my husband records me and helps me or Randall Dunn usually helps me. Right. Yeah, it was a really cool thing to learn and teach myself. Yeah. How did that change your approach to actually composing your parts and Mm. deciding what you wanted to to bring to the music? I guess the only thing I can compare it to is kind of like, how do I explain it? Like there's a, I think it's called a deride, which is like a, a walk that's free where you kind of let your intuition guide you on a walk to see what happens. 
Wow. Um, so I felt like that with Pro Tools, I didn't have any preconceived notions with using it. I didn't feel like I had confidence using it. And I feel like that made it like this very free canvas. So I don't know if that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And to be honest, yeah. it's, it's something yeah. that rings rings true from, from listening to it. I mean, I think what struck me today when I listened and I really honed in on your parts is just... Mm. Uh, it becomes unfathomable to think where the hell you would have started when recording yeah. it. It's like a shoal of yeah. fish or something. Everything's in in this beautiful unity. I mm. mean, do you approach the parts that you're contributing to this record with a, a shape in mind that you're driving towards, or is it a matter of just taking each um, voice at a time? I should say for the for for the mm. listeners to this. I mean, they probably would have just heard a clip prior to this interview but basically just it sounds like there could be four voices or 15 voices or 20 voices or yeah so I'm intrigued as to yeah to how you go about basically uh laying those voices down and and like I say whether there's a vision that you're driving for or, or whether it's just a matter of taking a voice at a time uh probably both um that was one really awesome feature of Pro Tools is not being limited to four tracks. <laughs> and with uh, my four track, I don't even know how to bus tracks, like where you put right. four on one and stuff. So um, that was really nice. I was like, oh, I can like, I can have like 12 of me. <laughs> um, so I limited myself with the amount of pedals and effects that I had so that I could have some kind of like container for that kind of freedom, I guess. Right. And uh, I've done a lot of composition with something I only, within the last 10 years, came to realize was called synesthesia. And I've been uh, doing artwork and music this way based on color and feeling for a really long time, and I didn't know that it had an actual name until I started working with Randall. And so I did a lot of these tracks based on the feeling and color that was associated with the music they uh john and aiden provided me wow yeah so that's so interesting Mm -hmm. because you did the artwork and the design as well right yeah i had like one specific color that i wanted to have in the record i think the label is mauve so and there's a track called mauve wow and Mm -hmm. that's that's driven by the kind of synesthetic response that you had to the sound yeah Yeah, there's like a a thing called a color feeling or something like that. Um, And I know a lot of other people who experience synesthesia have different associations with colors and numbers and sounds. So I just use that as kind of like an internal guide or a compositional guide. That's amazing. Yeah, of like rightness or something. (laughs) Yeah. So another record that I wanted to bring up as well is uh, a collaboration that you did recently with Alex Barnett um, mm-hmm. called VLF, which I've enjoyed reading a couple of interviews that you've already done on the record, actually. And it sounds absolutely fascinating. You've got a wonderful kind of accompanying text as well on the band camp. Um, oh, yeah. One of the things that I did notice is that you said you recorded it in a converted church. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was the experience of putting the record together like in that building? It looks like a lovely building. I was looking at pictures of it earlier. Uh, it's in an, a really nice town called Anacortes. Um, that's north of here, about two hours. And um, I believe the church is owned or co-run by Phil Elvram. And he recorded a lot of his records there. 
and uh, the guy Nick who works there uh, records a lot of bands. So it's like I think it's only reel-to-reel machine and just a giant empty church uh, with a lot of extra instruments and organs and pianos, and the space sounds great. So yeah, it was really fun to put really kind of like um, guttural and distorted and kind of gross sounds, uh, through a giant ampeg into this beautiful church. So it sounds really cool. Yeah. Did I read as well that you could feel your baby kicking as yes. well? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, it was also another hot summertime and I was pregnant. I think I was in the middle of my pregnancy and, um, I was still kind of like, I, don't, I felt very new to my pregnancy still. I wasn't used to it yet. So, right. yeah, it was a really interesting experience. And I kept, like, psyching myself out, being like, I'm doing something while pregnant. This is crazy. <laughs> like, like uh, before getting pregnant, I didn't have very many examples of mothers or pregnant women doing things. Like, I hadn't gravitated to stories like that or thought much about it. Right. Um, and then it, I kind of, like... I don't know, like blew my own mind being like, oh, pregnant women can do such awesome stuff and uh, do lots of things and be totally normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. My partner and I actually, we just, uh, this is way off topic, but just oh, like okay. watching the new uh, like Beyonce doc- documentary that came out like today. And that's like a key theme in it. And my, um, that's so great. <laughs> yeah. My partner was like, it's really important that people see this because obviously. Yeah. She's going through the same thing. She's like, people yeah. need to know that we're still, you know, trucking. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's like when you're pregnant, you actually have like extra, I don't know, is it extraordinary like abilities, I feel like. Like my senses were heightened and my hearing was better, my sense of smell. So like I basically felt like I was two humans, which wow. I kind of was. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it was amazing. So you've also got a number of other things on the horizon this year. I mean, one of them caught my eye largely because of the name. Hopefully I'm saying this right and hopefully it's still the <laughs> name, but the Mammoth album, The Brilliant Tabernacle. Yeah. Oh, what a name. That's great. Yeah, I had a dream when I was pregnant that uh, the world, everything, the kind of structure of the world as we know it collapsed. And there was people banding together and putting together old pieces of Bibles and different religious texts and kind of coming together to try to recreate religion out of, like, the smoldering ashes of the world. Wow. And the group I became a part of in the dream was called the Brilliant Tabernacle. So Whoa. That's, that all started. That, is that a phrase that you just drummed up within the dream? In my dream, yeah. It was... Yeah, I get a lot of, uh, I feel like if I have a problem or a question, I I uh, pose it to myself and then I feel like I dream about it as the answer. Blimey. Yeah. <laughs> Your dreams are so yeah. much more profound than mine. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, no, I dreamt yeah. that I had a competition with someone to hold a cupcake on my head for as long as possible. So. Oh, that's great. I think yeah. that's good. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um so, yeah, I understand you've got a, a, a new Mara record coming out as well. Uh, when's that due out? Uh, that's due uh, probably in the middle or the end of the summer of this year. Fantastic. 
And where does uh, that take Mara compared to uh, your last release? Was it in, I can't, was it 2014 or? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, uh, this record um, is kind of less song oriented. Um, it's still made out of cassettes and pieces of things that I thought were demos. And I originally made this record with Philip Jack in mind. Um, right. And he, yeah, I gave this record to him for him to do things with. So in the future, hopefully, um, we will have a collaboration. But I gave this record to a good friend of mine, the stuff I made for Philip. And uh, he was like, you have to put this out just by itself. So I was inspired by him. And so we're just doing a limited release of it as its own record. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm excited to hear that Philip Jack collaboration as well. That's amazing. Yeah, I hope it happens. I, I know he's partway through with it. So, yeah, yeah. I, that's like one of my big dreams was to do something with him. So I'm glad to work with him, hopefully. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, and yeah. what else? Is there anything else that you want to mention here that you've got on the horizon? Um, we have a record finished, but uh, I haven't done the artwork for it yet. Um it's a mammoth record where a Polish orchestra, um, I composed a song for a Polish orchestra and they performed it at a festival. So it's a recording of that. And my demo is on the other side of the record. Wow. So that'll be, I think that'll come out next year in the spring. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to all of this and uh, I'll make sure there are links in the show notes as well. So people can check out these various projects and the upcoming releases too. So now on to your important records. I mean, one question I like to ask to kick off is how you considered the term important when you were putting together this list, because it, it looked like in our email exchange that there were a few thoughts going through your head on this. So yeah, um, yeah I'm intrigued to know, um, how did you consider the term important when you were producing your list of records? Um, I figured it was, well, I guess my idea was uh, important meant what inspired me to make music. I guess, because I never had the intention up until I was like uh, 22 to make music almost at all. So the records I chose were uh, records at different points in my life that inspired me to want to create sound or work with sound in some way. Let's uh, kick off with whichever record you want to kick off with first. I'll let you choose. Uh, if you could give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you as well. Okay. The first record that came to mind, without a doubt, like eclipsing everything, uh, is Soundtracks for the Blind by The Swans. And uh, I got the record the day it came out, and I think I bought it with my first paycheck I'd ever gotten. I think it was 1994, either that or 1996. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't remember. It's an even number. Um, pretty, I'm sure it's 1996, actually. Yeah, so I, I think so. 16. Yeah. And... I had had some other Swans record on tape cassette. I think it was The Great Annihilator, and I had Filth, and Body to Body, Job to Job. And so when I heard the soundtracks for The Blind, um, it's, it was so new to me and so perfect. And I lived in the desert in California, and uh, the desert doesn't have very much rain. And there was something called El Nino happening, where it was just raining all the time. And uh, the record fit uh, the scenery and my life so perfectly. 
and there's some very dramatic moments on that record and I feel like it fit uh it was like the best expression for my teenage feelings (laughs) and I was I was amazed that somebody or like a group of people could get together and create a feeling with sound that was like the first time I'd had that pure notion and the song that's on that record that was the most important to me was called the sound um Yeah, and so I feel like that, even that, just that song uh, profoundly changed my ideas about what I could do in life, actually. And did you like the record instantly when you heard it? Yes. You did? Yeah. (laughs) That's so interesting to me, because I still struggle with this album, even though I've um, been a fan of Swans for so long. This record is the one that I can't penetrate. Wow. Oh, I've I've got to say something else about that. Um, And it's, I feel like it's controversial even within myself. So the group of friends that I had, it was kind of like, I don't know how to explain this either. Uh, They were like, here's this awesome swan cassette, but skip the Jarbo songs. And I know it sounds terrible. So, um, I just, I was younger than them and I was like, oh, okay, like just skip the Jarbo songs. And I don't really know the Jarbo songs or the ones that Jarbo sings on um, from the soundtracks for the blind. And so I might have a different experience than some people who listened to the whole record. Uh, Wow. And now Aaron got the vinyl, my husband Aaron got the vinyl version of that record. And when he started playing it, I was like, what is this? And he was like, this is Soundtracks for the Blind. I was like, what's this song? And I had actually, like, never heard it. So, yeah, that's kind of a weird aspect of the record, I guess. Um, I was also very a different person and uh, quite afraid of anything uh, related to female um, then. I was very much interested in male power and uh, male friendships and stuff. So... Yeah. And what other music were you listening to back when you first encountered this record? Um, I was listening to Fugazi and I loved Bikini Kill. And um, let's see. Oh, this was another. Let's see. There's so many things to go. Like if I try to go backwards. Um, (laughs) So I grew up in, like I said, the desert and there wasn't that much music to be found except for what came through television or friends. And I liked Nirvana, and I really liked a record by Hole called Live Through This. And that was kind of like a gateway into uh, Kill Rock Stars music, like Elliot Smith and Team Dresh, um, stuff like that. And let's see, what else was I listening to? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to like put the order together. Um, but I met uh, this group of friends that changed kind of like my musical tastes and opened me up to so many new uh, musics. And one of the first things they gave me was uh, some Swans tapes. I, it's always so fascinating those times when you're like, did you say you were 16 when you found this? Yeah. Yeah. That's the time when there can be those oracle friends which seem to mm-hmm. be tapped into this world where you're like, where are you getting this stuff? Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was like this magical treasure and I was like very important because they let me in on the secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're one of the cool ones. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, 
I think one of the things I think which deterred me initially and um, is, I mean, more interesting to me now, but uh, is is this, just the sheer duration of this record. Like I, I, I listened to it on Tuesday all the way through, which I think is the the first time that I've ever done that as a complete thing. And mm-hmm. even then it took me like a, an hour of working from home and then a journey to the shops <laughs> and back and then still working from home again before I finished it, which is uh, has its own presence. I think when the record is oh, that yeah. long, it takes on its own energy. I mean, um, is, do, do you think the duration of the record is, is an important part of, of why it's important to you? Um, it was definitely one of the first times I had heard very long songs and um songs almost as a narrative Hmm. and one of the first times i was awakened to almost like the concept of a record um and everything that came with it and so i know that was it seemed very new to me yeah like a revelation or something like that and you mentioned the sound in particular it's been most important what is it about that particular song um the feeling that it had within it was almost like, let's see, completely like what I felt inside uh, at the time of being 16. And I wanted to be able to do that myself. Like the kind of power that came from that song and the feelings that it helped me feel, I wanted to be able to do that. It was like my first idea of being able to have an effect on the world or something like that in fact i saw i think in a interview around the time of the world unseen that you cited this record or records of around this time as being influential on that album is that right yeah oh yeah um yeah a lot uh the one of the really cool things about that record is so much of that record is made out of old tape cassettes um that i guess Michael and Michael Jire and Jarbo like just had, I guess. Mm. Um, and so I, I think that was a very influential thing on me using um, cassettes as compositional tools and also the idea that um, things can find you and you can put them back into the world. Nice. Um, like finding a tape in the thrift store and then utilizing that as sound. I felt that was very empowering. It, it fit, um, the ideas I have of creation of using what's at hand uh, and being kind of empowered by um, using what you have. So is that why you feel maybe you've gravitated towards, say, using a four track over? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, what do you make of uh, the kind of Swans material since? So since their return, I guess you call it like mm. uh, my father onwards. I mean, is that stuff that's uh, resonated with you as well? No. (laughs) Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Around like 2011, though, I kind of stopped listening to music that uh, wasn't just field recordings or very specific recordings. Um, And so I'm not sure what changed for me. I think it changed when I started creating so much more of my own music that I didn't listen to as much music. And so like my husband has those records and I would hear them uh, in the car or in the house, uh, but nothing really uh, has stood out to me. Wow. And I don't know if it's, I'm maybe I'm just holding on to my 
my precious high schoolness of it. Like, <laughs> like I, I got to see them perform one of their last shows on the Swans Are Dead tour, and so I kind of just want to remember the Swans like that in my mind. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I understand that. Are you still um, listening to? just filled recordings or, or recordings of that nature right now or if you migrated away from from that phase um, within the last year i started actually listening to music again so it's, i think it's coming back whatever kind of whatever i my mind had to go through i guess <laughs> <laughs> So let's go to your second record now, Faith. Uh, if you'd mm-hmm. like to give me the name of it and um, a bit about why it's important to you as well. Okay. Um, so it's Einstürz und Neubauten, and the record name I chose was Drawings for Patients OT. But really, I could kind of put in all of the Neubauten records up until Tabula Rasa because I got them almost all at the same time. Uh, and it was also around the same time that I got soundtracks for the blind and it was from the same like cool friends. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, uh, it was also like just a total mind opener and it, it was, it was such empowering music. Um, and I got a VHS tape of Halber Mensch. Um, also probably, I think it was with like my first or second paycheck and, um, so that I kind of have that in tandem with drawings of patients OT because the visuals themselves and seeing how uh, Neubauten performed were so important to me uh, in, I guess, in relation to me thinking about what I wanted to do in my life or what with music. So this was another one that kind of informed how you thought you could put something into the world yourself, was it? Yes, yeah. And were there any particular aspects of uh, what Neubauten did that you thought, blimey, that's something that I really want to do? I liked that um, they, at least how I interpreted it then, without knowing the total context of what they were doing, I saw it as uh, basically controlled chaos. And I liked that as like a method of living and a method of creating. using what's at hand, uh, finding the limits of an object and like the limits of the sound the object can make, including the voice, like Blixa Bargeld's vocal cords and what he oh, could do yeah. with them was so, I was amazed. And um, things that are seen as noise actually being really pleasing and beautiful. Uh, so I was like really inspired by that. And just the idea of like, mounds of trash and garbage and like uh scrap metal field yards and like seeing them as beautiful i really liked that and you mentioned that this record you could have chosen a number of other records i mean is there anything about um drawings of patient ot that edges it out amongst those albums 
the favorite song I had on there was called Armenia. And it's also the one that's performed live in the video or one of the songs in the video. Right. Um, and uh, I felt that um, that song also kind of encapsulated a feeling I had. I couldn't even really interpret what it was yet, but it was kind of a, a feeling of wanting to be free, maybe from my family and kind of uh, just the past. Like I could feel my mind changing at 16 into something that was my own. Wow. And they kind of had that feeling for me. I think that the vocal performance on that one is ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. So good. Uh, have you seen them live as well? I saw them live in, um, I think, like 1998 or something. Right. Uh, and I couldn't uh, make sense of what I was seeing with what I thought they were like. Uh, <laughs> I, I had such a, a limited means of kind of getting information. Like there wasn't the internet for me or like even magazines that had like pictures of them. I had like an old book that showed them uh, as being like, like really wayfish, like creepy guys with weird hair and chunks missing out of their hair, like <laughs> around in the desert and setting fires and stuff. <laughs> and when I saw them perform, they were like, kind of like proper gentlemen. Like, um, like I was like, who are these guys? Uh, and um, I don't remember much of the show. I didn't feel like I was very present in myself at that show. So I'm sure it was a good show, but I don't uh, remember it. When you think about listening back to listening to this record, and perhaps this is also true for other records that you arrived at at this time, I mean, what do those listening experiences look like for you? I mean, was it on headphones, on speakers? Were you in a particular place? Uh, mostly always in my bedroom at my parents' house and um, often in the back of their car with headphones or walking with one of my best friends with headphones. Nice. So very close to the ears. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, did your parents, um, did you have many like conversations with them about kind of the kind of music you were getting into? Because I know that was always a huge part of, of my growing up and getting into exploratory music. Yeah. Um, well, my dad is a carpenter and an um, estimator. And so when I was growing up, there was so many sounds of power tools and just hammering ah, all this yeah. stuff. And so I think my dad was like, this is great. Like, <laughs> I don't know, he kind of understood Neubotten in some way. My mom really liked uh, Nick Cave. And I had a record by Nick Cave um, and the Bad Seeds that had Blixa on it. So she liked, she was okay with that record. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good you had an in there i mean yeah right <laughs> yeah it's so hard for me to relate swans ah. to management consultancy for my dad's sake it didn't really work out <laughs> <laughs> they didn't like when i listened to hole they um i didn't know they could hear me trying to sing with the records in high school <laughs> <laughs> uh they didn't like that record that's when i was like in between eighth and ninth grade or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> And when you started to make music yourself, I mean, do you feel like, um, you say you were 22, I think you said? Yeah, around 22. Oh, I made, uh, I played piano in high school and ever since I was little, um, but never with the intent of performing it live or having a recording. 
So it wasn't until I was 22 that I thought about that. And then when you started making music, was there, I mean, was it the imprint of this, this material when you uh, finally started making your own stuff? Completely, yes. Uh, I was in a band um, called Everlovely Lightning Heart uh, with my friend Chris Badger. And we started it at the school we were going to for college. And we would use um, weird train tunnels as instruments, the space itself as an instrument, and metal pipes. And we would create our own instruments. So uh, Neubotten's influence was very present. So let's get to your final record now, Faith. Uh, if you give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you as well. Um, it's Hibernacrum by Earth. And um, this is like way further down the line than these first two records. Let's see, I started listening to that record in 2007 or 2008. And I had just moved to Seattle from Los Angeles. And... Uh, I was living in like this tiny little sewing room in a building in Capitol Hill. And my roommate, her name was Jessie, and she had like a pretty good uh, music career going on. And she lent me a four track and she showed me how to use it. And when she was gone on tour, she'd be like, you can just hang out in my room and use my stuff. And so I found the CD and her stuff and I was like, what's this? And I'd heard uh, Bees Made Honey from uh, the house I lived in before this one in Seattle. And so I listened to this one, and again, I was like, I want to do something like this. And instead of feeling, it was more in terms of sound. Right. Yeah, I was like, these are the sounds like I would love to be able to translate my ideas into, this kind of richness of sound. It's such a good sound. Like yeah, it's amazing. Favorite. Oh, my God. Yeah. Blimey. Um, have you, uh, I mean, have you since, like, have you listened to, like, the, the original versions of these these pieces as well? Oh, they're great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But some, something about that record, and now that I know a little bit more kind of behind the history of it, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I guess they were kind of, they were recorded right after a tour, so I feel like the energy of performing those songs live every night was in that record. Because was it, I think it was, was it around the same time as the bees or maybe just before or something? I think it was just before. Yeah. Because uh, Dylan's doing some of those guitar licks, which feel very mm -hmm. bees-esque, the kind of big sweep up Americana thing. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> so lush. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have a, a favorite track of the four on this album? Oh, I don't know the track names. Um, let's see. It, I think it starts with Coda. 
I don't have it up actually. Oh, or- yeah, I'm rubbish with track names. Um, Coda Mestoso in F flat minor. Yeah, I think that's the one. Oh yes, yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. I think um, yeah. the the first one for me is. Um, I think I saw them perform it live, and I was like, "Oh my word, what is this?" Yeah. <laughs> and then went back to it. I mean, have you seen uh, Earth play live as well? Yeah, um, uh, we got to play with them in Japan, so we got to see them at least four times. Oh, I've only, nice. yeah, I've only seen them four times, and it was wonderful. When it was, was that? Um, 2012, I think, maybe 2013. Yeah, um, it was uh, really hot and humid in Japan, and the rooms were super packed. And um, I would always be in the position of seeing Adrian play drums, and the way she plays drums is so beautiful. She's oh. like, <clears throat> the way she moves is so, it's basically slow motion. Yeah. And she counts by moving her foot in this very slow motion way, so it really felt like drugs without drugs. <laughs> languid like drug experience but being totally sober yeah oh well Mm -hmm. one of my notes here is actually was to just ask you how good is adrienne because um just may like definitely maybe even just my favorite drummer i think um i mean particularly as you say seeing her live i think really hit that home oh Um, yeah so good oh like really really good restraint too yeah yeah um and it also it just feels like that she's ref- refined what she's done like as, as oh, they've yeah. gone on it's just uh oh, just a machine amazing mm-hmm. are there any other earth records that really connect with you as well um that's the uh one i connect with the most right yeah. um i just heard um which one uh one of the, I think it's the oldest one that's on Sub Pop, and I listened to that either a month or two months ago, and that record is really awesome too. Nice. I'm trying to think which one that is. It's not Pentastar or something, is it? I think it has Kurt Cobain on it. Yeah, I I I feel bad that I make music, but I'm so clumsy with titles and names of other people's records. <laughs> but I think it's um, I mean for me, I find it's certainly linked to how i listen to music because it's like a, um i don't know about you but if you're walking with music a lot and kind of using it out in the environment then uh, n- never look at track titles at all you know yeah that's how i feel yeah 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 it seems like uh, i don't know if you've heard they put out a new song actually i think yesterday the day before i don't know if oh, you've okay. heard that yet that's great yeah um it sounds like they're getting heavy again which is Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. became a favorite of mine at a powerful point in my life. I had only lived in Seattle for about a year and I had just moved from Los Angeles and left my friends there and my bandmate and my job 
and I came to Seattle to try to make music on my own. I started uh, recording Mammifer's first record here, Enifer, in small amounts at a friend's recording studio. Uh, when he had spare time, he would sneak me in. And I would walk the long way, all the way from my house to the studio. And Seattle is still very new to me. And rain was also really new to me coming from Los Angeles and growing up in the desert. And I would listen to Hibernacum and uh, it became sort of the soundtrack for my feelings and my determination to do something on my own. It was extremely helpful in the creation of the first Mammifer record and it also led me into uh, making records with Randall Dunn uh, since him and Mel Detmer recorded that record. And I wanted um, to work with Randall because of the sound quality of that record and I wanted to know what it would be like to have him help me create sounds like that. And working with Randall has been a really important part of Mammifer. And so that Earth record kind of encompasses a blossoming in my life. Tate, this has been great. Um, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast and for talking through your favorite records and also mm. bringing me up to speed with your copious amounts of goings on as well in your own musical life. Thanks. And if people want to uh, check out what you're up to, uh, is there a best place for them to be headed online? Let's see. I have a blog <laughs> that I sometimes <laughs> update. Um and it's called Fire in Fog. Um, and so I have a bunch of links and information there. Okay, well, awesome. Well, thanks once again. And to everyone listening, I will see you next time. Okay, thank you. Thank you.